0: I don't do anything else, this this is the job for me, I love the industry, I love doing shows and as long as all that stuff is running and good communication then it's fun, that's when you can start creating and that's when you have the opportunity to become an artist. if the team is strong and the team's working well together the show takes care of itself do i agree with that no i don't okay i'm definitely going to go the other way then did it work sometimes (laughs) sometimes it works and sometimes you go okay i made the wrong decision
1: Welcome to the Theatre Art Live podcast, and hello, we're putting the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the globe, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Anna Aguilera.
2: And my name is Anna Robb. On
1: this episode, we're joined by Rob
2: Winch to talk about what it is to be a coach.
1: Born in London and former National Artist Gymnastic Champion, Rob Winch started his entertainment career as an acrobat and an aerialist, performing in Ovo at the Millennium Dome. Over a 12-year performance career, Rob has experienced many different types of entertainment, including cruise ships, stunt shows, musical theater, live events, television, and film. Since 2011, he has been working as head coach as well as acrobatic and stunt specialist for different shows, including Tarzan at Disneyland Paris, the Festival of the Lion King at Disney World, Orlando, the House of Dancing Water in Macau, and La Pearl in Dubai. Hello,
2: Rob. Welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Nice to see you again, Rob. And thank you for joining us today. So, we'd love to hear a little bit in your words about yourself and your career. And we're going to ask you then about being a coach. So, tell us about yourself.
0: Well, originally I was a gymnast. Um, my my dad was actually went to two Olympics, 1980 and 1984. So it was kind of uh, in the blood. I did gymnastics. Until I was 18, and then. I auditioned for a show down in London and, and got it and pretty much fell in love with the industry. It's it's basically the only thing I know is the entertainment industry. It's all I've ever really done. I mean, I was doing plays and stuff at school. So I was always into doing displays and um, even, you know, small high school versions of um, West Side Story. And we did another show called The Two Brothers. So I was always trying to get out of gymnastic trainings to go and do that stuff. And now I'm, I'm I've been doing it for twenty years.
2: And what is a what is an acrobat? And and you started as an acrobat. So what work did you get? Like uh, you know you, you worked at Disney, and 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 I know you worked for Cirque du Soleil. So like how did you get into that work? And like how, how what what did you do in those shows? Essentially.
0: Well, I mean the term acrobat's pretty broad. Like I mean, the aerialists will class themselves as acrobat. Um, a slackliner would class themselves as an acrobat. And so the first show I did in London was Aluminium Dome and it was two casts of 80 and it was seven days a week and it was basically anything. It was just generalists. A lot of the shows I did as a performer were ensemble shows that had a house troupe that basically could do everything. I mean, gymnasts, artistic gymnasts are normally, their thing is to do six different pieces and actually trampoline would be like the seventh thing as well. They don't compete that, but... It's anything that jumps, anything that flips, anything that spins. And so the term aerialist is sort of pretty broad.
1: So you, you like doing theatre, but you were also a gymnast and then you found this job just like that, like, oh, looks good. Like, how, how did you look for it? Did they find you? Did you audition?
0: Every Every job I've done, I've had, as a performer, I've had to audition. I think the first job in London, it was a day off. And actually, it was one of the girls coaches that came over to me and said, they're auditioning for this thing in London. I'd just turned 18. So I was pretty much doing full-time gymnastics training. And so I went to the audition, but I I wasn't going to go because it was the only day off that week of training. And I was like, that's the last thing I want to go and do is a load of press-ups and sit-ups and do a big conditioning plan on a Sunday. But I went because actually my dad's friend who is um, a stuntman for TV in England he was doing the auditions and he said oh, you know he convinced me to come and do it and I got the job and then moving on to the cruise ship after that I auditioned for that I mean yeah as a performer you you audition and as you know once you start knowing people around the industry a little bit more i mean I did stunt shows i did i've done some of the best shows and I've done some of the worst shows as a performer. I was a Power Ranger in a holiday park. I was um, doing a Popeye show in Skegness in England, which is like the rainiest city beach you've ever been to. Living in a caravan, but then, like you know, even when um, I was working with Andrew in, in at Cirque, it was you know doing the Grammys and doing America's Got uh, Talent and Jay Leno show. So it's you just have to graft a little bit first before you start getting your name but most of the time as an acrobat yeah you have you have to audition
2: but just out of interesting you know because you know you could have had a a gymnastic career or was it a natural progression to go into entertainment was there a a thought that you would stay in the sport realm whether either coaching in sport or that and you had this parallel in school that was theatrical performance so Obviously, was that a natural progression for you or was there an option where you thought, oh, maybe I'll stay in gymnastics as a... Because obviously that's what your father stayed in, right?
0: Yeah, dad stayed, as he's been a gymnastic coach ever since and built up some of the best gymnastic teams in England. And now actually he's doing, because of the virus and stuff, he's doing global virtual gymnastic coaching. And so I sort of just went with the flow at the start. Like I got a job and then I got another job and then... I came off the cruise ship and hadn't done a resume, didn't have a resume, didn't know how to write a resume, didn't have an agent. So from coming off, from going from two pretty decent shows straight away, I came back and I was working in a a coffee shop for eight, nine months in between gigs, just going, oh, okay. I thought I was, uh, this was going to be really easy to find work and it certainly wasn't. So that's when I had to print out a lot of Raising Maze because back in those days, it wasn't about email. It was about writing lots of letters and putting the addresses on the envelope and, and sending them out and just sending them to anyone and any, you know, any agent that you could think of. I wanted to go back to London, but it didn't work. So I, that's when I was sort of doing stunt shows and pantomime at Christmas and other things.
1: And how do you move from, from that to being a, a coach? And if you mentioned your dad was a coach, do you see similarities and differences between the coaching job you do and what your dad does?
0: The definite, the way the dad taught me, because he was my coach, right? So um, the way, or the way the coaching industry, regardless of entertainment or sport or anything, the way it used to be was very much discipline, discipline, discipline. A lot of the time in the gym but eventually there was a lot of things you know as I moved into a coach there's a lot of times you would I would think okay what would dad do or what would my coach from Cirque do or at this point and then sort of go okay do I agree with that no I don't okay I'm definitely going to go the other way then did it work sometimes <laughs> sometimes it works and sometimes you go okay i made the wrong decision but at least, at least at least with every decision there's a little bit of forethought or even with managing managing artists as a coach you know it's 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 at least going and going right this is this is what it is this is why i made this decision i messed up so let's let's remedy it and fix it for, you know make make it better for the artist
2: you talk about the three c's which is control communication and consistency and so what does that mean to you and how do you avoid complacency in in the workplace when you talk about entertainment
0: the three c's was something actually i'd seen just before i got house and it was from a well like i'm a big football fan right english football so it was uh, alex ferguson who is like one of the most credited football managers in the world and he did a speech at like uh, a university I don't remember which one it was and I'd heard it and I was like that's brilliant because it just it said everything I was I was sort of thinking but just put it into words so I teach it to any coach I actually teach it to any manager of anything because coaching for me is mentorship it's I don't even like the word leadership I like mentorship or support for the person you're coaching it's it's upskilling or improving or making the the person you're managing more talented by educating them in this way of how to manage. So I actually, you know, coaching for me is the best, some of the best managers in the world think of themselves as coaches. So with the three C's, it's, it's, you know, control, but obviously control, no one controls anything. Uh, A calling stage manager doesn't control what's going to happen they just try and direct and lead and steer the ship and so it's first going look no one controls anything but if you're well thought out if you've got a good plan if you've got a good objective for the session or whatever you know you're running you can have as much control as you you know as you think you will have if you're well planned but if you just turn up and see what happens then there's no control about anything the communication of course obvious sometimes we over communicate sometimes we under communicate especially with artists you know you're not going to hand them over an sop to read and go okay go and go and now go and do that it's you've got to do it step by step it's it's good pedagogy to go okay let's do these three things the most important things do that once you're consistent at that move on to the next step move on to the next step and it's it's surprising how it sounds so obvious but it's surprising how many times I've seen it forgotten about over over um, over communicating. So I'm always I sort of tend to stick on the side when giving someone an objective or a directive or a guide of just going, okay, this is the most important thing right now. You need to do this. You need to hit it three times uh, consistently, and then we can move on to the next step. And then, of course, consistency in my, you know, in high, these high performance shows, when we've got acrobats, you know, diving from 25 meters or a diver coming off a Russian swing and hitting 50 meters or a motorcycle guy flipping a motorbike 20 meters, that's 220 pound, 450 cc Kawasaki. It's like, okay, you're not just going to do this once you're going to have before, I, you know, let it, you do it in the show. You don't just hit once, at least three times. Bang, bang, bang. Okay, you're good because obviously with the consistency we mitigate any risk as much as we can but it's only ever mitigated the risk is always still there and in order to keep a consistency the killer is the complacency so the the complacency is quite easy to change you just sort of throw out a little a little note or something for them to try or something to keep them switched on because i know Firsthand, what it's like to have done a show for six years, the same act every day, six years, and you're sort of walking out on stage at ten thirty at night, slapping yourself to wake up because you're not, you know, you don't really feel yourself in your body. So, yeah, I tend to do that to the eyes, and just sort of every so often, if you can see them, just sort of go a little bit uh, gloss-eyed. It's come here, let's change something, or let's do something, or let's put your mind somewhere else to focus, so that you have to switch back into focus for the thing you're doing ten times a week.
1: What would you say is the difference between athletes and stunts and performers and artists, and how do you coach them accordingly? Is there a difference to you when when you're doing
0: that? Again, the the main principles of coaching that we've just talked about, I think that works for a lot of any performer, you know, dancer, athlete, acrobat. A stunt guy will generally, or a stunt person will generally do that stunt once maybe twice they've got it in you know they've got the shot they move on to the next thing so i i think it is different but the only thing a coach really on the a, on a on a, any big show that's taking these sort of acrobats and doing high high energy and high risk um stunts in some ways is is all about preparation a coach doesn't control the show they don't they don't have they should Nowhere near the stage. Once that's done, it's thank you, stage management. Here's the baton. They're they're ready to go in the show. We've prepped them up as much as they need and not over prep as well at the same time.
2: We've had a, I think you wrote an article a while ago for A Theatre at Life about the difference between performers and artists, and I think that's an interesting dialogue to have, um, especially in this industry, so can you just explain to the people who listening who are listening about what your definition of the difference between a performer and an
0: artist is? For me, an artist is someone that that wants to create and always is the creative they they're great, but when we're doing ten shows a week 48 eight weeks a year, they tend to not be able to focus, they, get, they switch off very quickly because they are doing the same thing over and over again. A performer is someone that can knock out 10 shows a week, 48 weeks a year consistently and still wants to be on stage. Like Their passion is to be on stage. An artist's passion is to create. And so a lot of the times I've seen artists put in these shows and they're amazing for creation, but then they switch off as soon as it becomes monotonous.
1: What would you say is your favorite thing about coaching?
0: No, it was funny because I was having this conversation yesterday and it was, I was ready to step off stage. Like I made the, I got, I was at Cirque and I was doing six shows, uh, six years of that show. And for me, I could have happily, you know, I felt like I'd reached the level I was going to get to as a performer. Plus my body was sore. So I made the decision and was, had the opportunity to go back to Tarzan in Paris, the show that I'd done as a performer, you know, five, six years previous, and went back to actually relaunch it. So I got to go and choreograph a little bit, even though it was a show that was, we were relaunching the same show, little bits of choreography and stuff. So I, I made that decision to step off stage. And the more of coaching I've done, I find it you know, if the artist looks good on, on stage, it, I sort of find the success of myself through that artist or artists, the team of artists. You know, if we put in a new element in the show and they hit it out of the park, the the team is buzzing anyway, they're all applauding each other. And I don't even, I just stand back and, you know, and sort of take it as self satisfaction that we've made something together as the team. And then it's that as well. It's the team. If the team is strong, the team are good. There's always going to be issues within any team you put together, but it's sort of um, teaching them how to be professional and how to come up with solutions. You know, I, I don't like people coming with without an idea of how to fix their own problems.
2: What do you think in terms of, you know, because there's a lot of people that are in performance and their career performances has a limited time span right but then there's only going to be a certain demographic that end up as as coaches what do you think of the skill sets that are that that can transfer from being a performer and then moving into coaching what, what are those essential key, key sort of skills that somebody needs to master to become an adequate coach
0: I think a lot of the assumption is on you know if you've if you've done it you can coach it and vice versa if you've never done it how could you coach it and so it's kind of what I was talking about my dad as well the difference was he he'd done it all so he would just sort of tell you how what it was and then get on with it right
2: like some people can do it but that doesn't mean they necessarily have the ability to teach it right
0: that's it it was you know I I learned a big lesson at house because Russian swing I've never done I've done t- to board and I could somersault and stuff but the connection on the swing when you've got three guys you know pushing one 50 kilo girl up to 15 meters in the air I normally go off the of the coaching technique of asking them what they felt and asking them what they that to in order to give the feedback but what happens is you have an idea, you see it, it's still basic biomechanics, whether you're getting pushed off a swing, whether you're jumping from 25, the, the aerial awareness, you can normally see it as a coach straight away. But the tactic I tend to use is go, okay, what did you feel that time? And a lot of the times they'll either confirm exactly what you were gonna tell them to change. And so then they're thinking for themselves and you're just you know, a second, you're their eyes. So you don't have to video it necessarily every five seconds and show the artist. You just go, okay, what did you feel? Well, I felt like I was going to the left a bit in, in a twist. Oh, yes, that's exactly what I saw. So this time, try it this way. So it's more of a collaboration when you're coaching something you've never done. But actually, even if you've done it, it's better to ask the, the, the performer what they're doing and what they're feeling. And then see. then, you, then you're just helping them you're not telling them what to do or directing them
2: there's also an element of you know generally people who grow up in the gymnastic environment or the performance environment they have a coach that they respect and you've got to earn that respect and you've got to earn that trust between the performer which is not necessarily a skill that you're taught it's something that you probably evolve into and how do you Cultivate that relationship between moving from a performer into a coach and then also then having to coach people and and earn that respect and trust and collaboration relationship.
0: I tend to teach other coaches and because I've done it my first hand is good follow up. you know if you say you're going to do something, then you do it, so then you've got the trust right if if you know an artist comes to you with a problem, you want the artist to come to you as their coach. And in my eyes, the, the, the coach of a show is the, the artist or the acrobats' primary management or uh, support source. So you want them to want to come and speak to you, you know? If they're going to speak to someone else, then it's kind of that big brother approach or big sister approach. But it's like, no, no, come to me. I'll tell you yes or no, but at least I'll tell you yes or no. And if I don't know, I will go find out and I will come back. And I will, you know, we'll talk about it. But again, it's just, it's building that trust for them to want to come to talk to you. And if you don't know the answer, then go find out or go and research or go and ask someone that you, you know, that's, that's, um, if it's a rigging problem with a bungee or something like that, uh, too many times I've seen artists and riggers talking, they change something. The coach has no idea. And you're like, well, I can't, I can't be their support system if I'm not in the loop. So um i'm a big advocate for going even taking the artist with us and go no we can go and research it together but i can't manage you i can't help you i can't support you if neither of us know
1: if you could change anything from the way the industry works or how the coaching world works would you change anything
0: a lot of the divide between artistic and technical needs to needs to come together also it's a different type of of performer nowadays you know it it's it's changing within we I mean, we never were allowed to video stuff, we never had phones that could video stuff, so all this the technology and stuff is is good and is useful, but i think I don't know I think it was normally when I was doing shows, it was very easy to go and walk on the stage and do a back somersault, so I got bored very quickly, even at Circ I got bored very quickly because. You know, two years in, you're like, okay, yeah, I'm doing exactly the same thing every day now. So what I'd do is go and hang out with automation or go and hang out with sound. I'd be up on the grid waiting for my next cue and I'd sit next to the guy and watch him board and just start asking questions. And I think that comes from when I was, you know, living in a caravan in Skegness and playing a, you know, a Power Ranger three days a week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um it was, it was like, I better educate myself and I better have a better resume than just, yeah, he can do a flip. So I really, I also, that's why I think with performers, I'm, I'm big on them going to find out for themselves, but in a way that's structured and it's, you know, it it upskills them. And also even with when, when I've had acrobatic captains, I teach them as artist coaches. So it's like, okay, now you're going to write an SOP. Now you're gonna learn how to coach and actually they end up doing the coaching and you're just managing the session and managing them so that's yeah i think the the bringing together of artistic and technical is super important you know everyone has a function in the running of the shows and unless that's tight and the team are strong and they are confident as a team and there's no fractures in those links then this job's fun. Like the industry, I I don't do anything else. This this is the job for me. I love the industry. I love doing shows. And as long as all that stuff is running and good communication, then it's fun. That's when you can start creating. And that's when you have the opportunity to become an artist. And that's when you can improve a new trick or add a new element in or anything like that. But it starts on the fundamentals of the team. Um, Too many times... I've heard you know the show must go on the show must go on it's all about the show the show's the core thing i'm like i for a big ensemble show i'm i agree but i think the first thing is the team and if the team is strong and the team's working well together the show takes care of itself
2: do you think the show suffers if that relationship between the artistic team and the technical team is not well connected
0: oh i'd yeah, I don't think a show can function if that's not if that's not strong. It will, but it's uh, you know on the surface it's kind of like skimming the surface. There's always you know the the typical you take the iceberg right? It's uh, the massive iceberg underneath the water. All the bottom part is all the preparation, and then you you know the audience just see this much. So you know you're thinking on a on a big show like House, where we've got 91 artists. It's kind of like okay. So if you're seeing this. Then the preparation must be insane, and it was.
2: <laughs> well, it was, yeah. But I think you know, a lot of people. I mean, especially from a business perspective and a money perspective, and a, and a, maybe even a creation perspective. If that value is not placed on that very core of, of building a good team and 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 developing uh, a great show within that, with a good team, that that then compromises the the, the, the quality of the end product right and so yeah, it's interesting yeah. that you say that because there's not a lot of discussion about that particularly and uh, a lot of people think you throw money at it or you throw people at it and you're going to get a good show and that's not necessarily the case and, and I think it's, it's more about the talent and the team that come together uh, to create something of quality rather than money or people numbers of people right
0: absolutely I, I couldn't agree more I think um... During a creation process, yeah, you you want a lot of artists and you want to, you know, there's always gonna be those conflicts, but you just you just keep striving for resolution. And hopefully, I mean, everyone in the industry that I've met, they always hold themselves accountable for everything anyway. And they hire themselves they hold themselves at a high level, especially in the entertainment industry. So it's not about going to point fingers, but at the same time, it's about Wanting them to want to improve, or be solution oriented, or you know, it's going and and the the best thing I've found as a manager of shows, a coach, whatever job or role i mean in, is going to the, the lighting guy about something that happened and going, hey, can you can I just learn this? Like, can you teach me about this a little bit? You know, you know, you're gonna have to dumb it down a bit because I'm not a lighting person, but I'm, just so I understand why it happens, so maybe there's something I can throw out that's You know, like in the eyes of an artist that they might not see, they're just seeing it from this angle. But I'm trying to get everyone always to try and think about the other person and go, okay, what would that's probably why they're not so happy that the lights switched off in the middle of my act or something like that, you know? But also, it really again, it goes back. Then you go back to the artist with a good follow up and you say, look, this is why it happened. And actually, sometimes there's nothing we can do, it just this may happen. And so what we have to plan is the contingency if it does happen.
2: And that's what comes back to your your three Cs in terms of communication, being that conduit between artistic understanding technical and technical understanding artistic. And when they're both working together in terms of that understanding, then you have a a
0: good relationship and then a good show, right? Yeah. I mean, I I always say to people, you know, as a gymnast, I was nowhere near the best gymnast, you know. I was... um, National champion, and then went straight into shows. But it's for me personally. I always competed better when I was in a competing as a team because then I always competed better as a team because it's still only me up there on the high bar swinging around or on the on the piece. But now it matters because now if I mess up, it affects the team. It's not just me messing up me. And so yeah, I've I think it's probably from gymnastics. And doing, being very good at swimming and gymnastics and trampolining, and so you know, I, I didn't play a lot of team sports apart from at school, and I always liked playing team. So it's I keep going with, especially with the way these big shows are created nowadays. There's always an ensemble, there's always a house troupe, and that is basically the core of the running of the show. And then you've got your specialist, your motorbike guys, your Will of Death or whatever it is.
1: What excites you the most doing a creation and going from zero or working on the transition or doing the operation and day-to-day?
0: I'm not great at starting from scratch. Like, a, give me a blank paper. I'm like, okay, I need something. Do you, Have you got a piece of music? Have you got a color? Have you got a pattern? Have you got an idea of, do you want this a dance piece or choreography? I've always... It's very hard with artistic because you kind of got to see it and then go, okay, I definitely like that. Or I definitely don't like that. Let's change it. So I've always been better at sort of, I call it show, you know, show doctor or acrobatic doctor. Like if you give me something, I go, okay, now I'm going to fine tune this bit or fine tune that bit. And so I like being creative. A lot of the jobs, especially as an acrobatic coach, the word coach, a lot of times I've been, it's kind of like, like you just, you just, Coach the tricks and the skills. I'm like, no, I, I need I need to be able to do the the creative part as well and be like acrobatic conceptor or whatever you want to call it. So yeah, a lot of the shows as a performer, I've done as from creation from scratch. But as a you know as a coach or an acrobatic conceptor guy or choreographer, a, a lot of the work I've done the shows already running and I've come in and then been tasked to either change it or move things around and that I do I love doing I tend to get very excited and talk very fast and shout a lot of people and get it done because I'm a I'm a what's it called overachiever I like things done I think
2: it's interesting also then to know your lane right because I really feel like there's a lot of you know if you hone in on that skill set and it's a very specialist skill set to be able to take something and then take it to another level rather than taking and and something coming from 0 to to 10 which is the conception area that's another person's job right so it's it's nice for you to say i oh, i acknowledge my lane and i know what i'm good at because i think that's a lot of people try to bridge all of the all of the the gamut of what is possible and it's not necessarily you, don't, you, don't, you can't necessarily excel in every realm, right? And if you know what you, you're good at and double down on that, then you find your lane and you can excel in that and, and then make a career out
0: of it. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think um, I remember even as a performer, I knew I wanted to go into coaching or artist direction or something. You know, I was, I've been in shows. I loved it. It's all I knew, you know. But also, I mean, I didn't study entertainment at school. There is, no, there is no acrobatic coach degree at the university. <laughs> or, you know, yeah, exactly. There's no, yeah, there's no job title, but you can't go and learn this stuff at, at school. You can go off and do a sports degree, which kind of translates over, but um, I think that's why a lot of the time I sort of did my education to, to move on from performing because I knew one day it was going to finish. That's why I just go ask a billion questions or go and learn about sound and then go, okay, that's not for me, but at least I've moved that cable from that port and put it in the other port and the guy's gone, you've just patched sound. I'm like, cool, sounds good, off you go. (laughs) 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 So I think for anyone sort of moving from performer to coach, it's not as obvious a change as they might think it is. Just because you can do it doesn't mean you can coach it. But I would encourage everyone, it's like if you're in a show or you, you've you got a job, learn every single thing you can about every angle of that job to better educate yourself for future, future things that come up.
2: Well, thank you so much, Rob, for sharing with us your experience about being a coach and working in the entertainment industry and everything that... Uh, you've shared with us today. It's been much uh, it's been a really good learning experience. Even I've learned things that I didn't know about you, so thank you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Thank you.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: Please write a review on our podcast whenever you listen to our podcast and let your friends know about us. You can learn more about Theatre Art Life by visiting our website at www.theatreartlife.com. And you can follow us on social media and leave your questions or comments on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Twitter or YouTube. We really want to thank David Zaya for composing the music for our podcast and Michelle Sharotta, who is our sound engineer. We are your hosts, Anna and Anna, and this is the Theatre Art Life podcast where we put the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world.